I would like to echo the words that Matthew shared a little earlier in my gratitude to all of you who served at yesterday's clinic. It took a lot of advanced preparation, much prayer, and many, many hours of volunteering. So Matthew, I know Laura Wirt was at the nine o'clock service. I don't know that she's has the energy to do both today. Are you in the room today, Laura? I don't see you, but I think that it would be great for us to give the Lord a hand for her and for her leadership, and then for all of you too who served. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you so very much. As I shared at nine o'clock, I believe that the clinic is the signature keystone way of defining HRBC. We do a lot of things throughout the year, but that one event that you all have done for over a decade now speaks to who you are, to who we are. And as a pastor, it brings joy to my heart, and I say thank you. A couple of things. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to sit at the table with a number of Syrian refugees just recently having come to Richmond after that long, long, hard journey. And through an interpreter, I learned that the three women, each of their families, had some specific needs. One of them was for a queen-size box spring and mattress. And you'll be happy to know that someone in the 9 o'clock service has already committed to that. That family will be able to have a bed to sleep on because of you. Two other needs. One, two big cooking pots. The kind that we used to cook bold peanuts in in South Carolina. Those big ones with handles with a lid that goes on it. Uh, A big one and then a medium-sized one so they can put all kinds of things in there for their large family. And then the third thing is a big electric fryer for a family of eight. You and I could just go out and buy that stuff right now, most of us. We could go to Costco or Walmart or whatever store we wanted to get those things, and we wouldn't really think a whole lot of it. But perhaps some of you might want to help out in a little bit. If, if, if you do, just see me, and I'll pass the word along to the interpreter, okay? So thank you again for all that you did to make yesterday a very meaningful day. As I prayed, I would like to have the clinic in my heart every day. I pray that God would help me to do a better job of seeing the people around me. Let's pause and pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word this morning. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, amen. You'll open your Bible up to Matthew 18. And in a few moments, we'll walk through verses 21 through 35. As you're doing that, there's a little devotion that some of you may enjoy, I do as well, called Streams in the Desert. It's written by a woman named Letty Bird Kalman, a missionary who served in Japan in the early part of the 20th century. And she tells of a custom way out in the African bush 
which has no equivalence in our part uh, of the world. The custom is Forgiveness Week. Fixed in the dry season when the weather itself is smiling, this is a week that every man and woman in the community pledges him or herself to forgive any neighbor of any wrong, real or imagined, that may be a cause for misunderstanding, coldness, or quarrel between parties. It is, of course, in our religion, Christianity, part a big part that we are to forgive our fellow brother or sister. We know that, but oftentimes it's hard to do that. Both long-time Christ followers and new Christ followers alike can easily overlook this tenet of our faith. We can let things fester and live with unrepentance and unforgiveness in our hearts. But in this part of the African culture, Forgiveness Week brings this forcibly to mind. Every year it happens. The week itself, itself concludes with a festival of happiness and rejoicing among these Christians. And it is a reminder to the community of faith that we have a need for forgiveness. And we need to elevate the importance of forgiveness. Because we serve a forgiving God. God's kingdom, perhaps we would say God's kingdom is forgiveness. God's kingdom is forgiveness. Throughout this fall, we're going to be unpacking this idea of God's kingdom is. Today, we would say God's kingdom is forgiveness. Jeremiah 31, 34, one of my favorite verses, God says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time forgetting things. We can forgive, but forgiving is not necessarily forgetting. We as human beings have a very difficult time forgetting things. Even if we park them in the back of our minds, something will trigger it and we will remember the issue or the incident. But God forgives and forgets. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That's supernatural, people. John writes, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that passage is something that we will see happening in the parable that Jesus teaches in today's lesson. And we're very familiar, many of us, with Matthew 6, 14. Right after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you read that, it's as if our forgiveness from God is dependent upon that forgiveness which we extend to others. So I pray that God would give me the heart to be able to forgive as I have received forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgetting, It's hard for us to do that. It's nearly impossible. Forgiveness is not excusing a behavior or letting something slide or condoning something that's grievous. And sometimes, as I shared with one of our members not long ago, there are, there are 
instances or things that have happened to us that we can't bear to forgive and that we have to ask God to forgive. Remember Jesus himself as he hung on the cross said, Father, forgive them because they, for, they not know what they do. It was an imperative. Jesus is saying, Father, you forgive them. I can't do it, perhaps, in his human suffering there at the end of his life. Father, you're going to have to forgive them. I can't do that. Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. Yes, there are some things that are so painful that we struggle to forgive, but with God's grace, we trust him with that part of our lives. We are indeed the forgiven And we are called to the ministry of forgiving, an ongoing ministry of forgiving. Jesus is teaching his disciples, you remember from last Sunday's message in the Gospel of Matthew, that he gave his disciples a model for reconciliation. If your brother sins against you, go to that person one-on-one and try to work things out, reconcile it. If that doesn't work, take two or maybe one or two more and try to work it out. And then he gives a model for what happens in the church. If that still doesn't work, there's some processes that churches follow that are modeled after that verse. And this very next sentence, Peter then comes to Jesus, verse 21 of chapter 18, and asks Jesus a question. Then Peter came to Jesus and and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter wants to know how often, not the spirit of it. Maybe Peter just wants to make sure he checked the religious box, right? That he followed the rabbinic teachings. They taught that if your brother sinned against you and kept doing that, that you would forgive him three times, but after that, well, just write him off. And perhaps Peter is trying to justify his own following of, of that rabbinic teaching closely where he says um how many times shall i forgive um up to seven maybe he's in his mind he's like i'm only required to do three or four depending on who you read but i'm gonna do seven what do you think about that jesus and jesus replied i tell you not seven times but 77 times. You see, in God's economy, there's no limit. Peter, trying to check the religious box and have a limited understanding of what this is about, and then Jesus just blows the top off of it. And then he tells a parable. Peter didn't ask Jesus to describe the kingdom of heaven, But as Jesus often did, he went right there in verse 22. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. They say that might be like millions of dollars in today's money. Just a tremendous amount, almost unfathomable amount of money. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had would be sold to repay the debt. So you have this image of the king settling accounts and this servant was brought to him 
who owed this tremendous amount of money, and there's no way that he could do it, so he'd be sold. Some interpreters will look at parables allegorically, saying that one character in the parable represents God, and another person in the parable represents humans, us. Sort of like the parable of the loving father or the lost son. In that story, often told allegorically, the father represents God who never gives up on his son, and the, the lost son represents us who have sinned against God and now are coming home. And also the older son can represent us who are prideful often and get confused and angry about the unfairness of grace. So we can see that in that allegorical way. But here I would beg to differ with that interpretation. If the king represents God, then we would question, well, why would God sell the man and his entire family into slavery to repay the debt. That doesn't sound like the God we love and worship. And so when we read parables, we want to read them slowly and try to get to an understanding of what God is saying here to, the, to us and how Jesus is using this story to communicate to his disciples. So after this happens, verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that very same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him. So you have the picture. This very servant who owed an, inf an almost unfathomable amount of money to his master had it released. He was forgiven. His debt was gone. And then the ve this very same person then goes to a servant that was under him in that economy and grabbed him around the neck and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. That servant owed him hardly anything. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him in the same way that servant had begged the master. Be patient with me, he said, and I will pay it back. And in verse 30, he refused. Instead, he sent off, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. By the way, when you throw somebody in prison, how much success will they have in paying off their debt? How difficult is it for someone in prison to pay back child support? How difficult is it for them to get caught up on their bills? It's near impossible unless they have family who are willing to help. And then they get out and sometimes can be even farther behind and it just perpetuates. So this servant who himself had been forgiven of tremendous debt did not extend the same grace that the other one needed. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting to the disciples to help them to understand mercy and forgiveness. Well, after the master heard 
how the one who had been forgiven treated one who needed help while he was angered. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Verse 33. And then verse 34. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then Jesus, he comes with a punchline that's jolting. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's not the, the tender, sweet, loving God that we often sing about. Jesus is painting a picture that on its surface appears quite different. I don't believe that Jesus is painting God at all whatsoever in an angry, wrathful light. That's not the Jesus I know. But often Jesus would use extreme examples. We call them hyperbole, things to make a point that have a shock to them. And that's what he did with his disciples. He was trying to help his disciples to see how important forgiveness was and that they were not only to receive it, but they were to extend it. I like what Jesus says there at the very end because he focuses on forgiveness from the heart. He desires that we have compassion on those perhaps who have wronged us and that we seek God's help to find a way to move on toward reconciliation. We would draw a few applications from today. One is that the economy of forgiveness exceeds our assumptions. Peter put it in a box. Uh, Jesus, you know, if I can have seven, if I know the, the requirements are three or four, but seven ought to do it. Check the box. How often? And Jesus is saying, nope. You remember one of the other questions somebody asked Jesus. Uh, who is my neighbor? Because he asked, Jesus asked him, well, what are the two most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the, the person says, well, um, who is my neighbor? Because there are some people um, who are my neighbors I'd rather not love. I don't really like them either. So people ask Jesus these kinds of questions. How often am I supposed to forgive? One other what am I supposed to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything and give it all to the poor. And that person went away sad and unhappy because they couldn't bear to do that or even engage in that. Sometimes we ask the questions of God and are seeking to justify our thoughts and actions to put it in a nice religious box and we can check it off. And Jesus is saying, not so. The economy of forgiveness exceeds our expectations and assumptions. Second application we can gather is mercy is to be shared, brothers and sisters. We are to give to others the same forgiveness and mercy that we have received from God himself. And we do that from the heart. And I saw that happen yesterday in the highways and byways of this church. And I am so thankful to see the way that you gave mercy. And then the third application is Business as usual is tempting and we want to avoid it. It is tempting for us after a day like yesterday in the life of our church 
to say, my, look, we had over, what, Matthew, some 500 people served here at the clinic and talk about the numbers and then move on this week as if nothing really ever happened and look at the clinic as a program that we engage in and we'll do it next year. And to slip from a spiritual high place from yesterday into business as usual. Let us be aware that business as usual is tempting and we want to avoid it. With God's grace and the Holy Spirit's help, we can avoid it. And we can live with an attitude of every day with the clinic in our hearts. As we focus on God's kingdom as forgiveness today, I don't know about you, but there are times in worship where I just need to verbalize it. I need to confess. Some other denominations are a little better at this than we Baptists. So I've written a corporate prayer of brokenness and confession for us. The words will be on the screen, and I'd invite you to join with me in saying these words, and then I'll lead a prayer on our behalf. God Almighty, we confess that we put up walls and barriers. We refuse to forgive, though others have forgiven us. We refuse to help, though we have been helped. We see the speck in the eyes of others and fail to see the log in our own. We are stubborn. We want things our way and cannot see outside of the box that there may be other ways. Forgive our shortcomings and our short-sightedness, and when we become stumbling blocks for others, call us into your way to see ourselves in others, to put ourselves in their shoes, to love others as we love ourselves, as you have loved us in the name of Christ who calls us to repent, to turn back to God and seek forgiveness, we pray. Amen. And in assurance of our pardon today, I share that God's grace is faithful. God makes a path when none was there before. God leads us back when we are hopelessly lost. God makes room for us when we have walked away time and again. There is always room for us at the table of Christ, and Christ is calling your name. You are forgiven, God's people. You are loved. You are restored to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me, please?